0: Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Welcome back, everyone, to Warrior Goddess Revolution. And as You may have noticed, I have tended up until now to interview people that I know really well, and we're starting to expand to people that I haven't met yet. And I'm really excited to share our guest today because I looked at her book and I looked at her photo and my heart just exploded open. I was like, yes, this is going to be so fun because we have so much in common. So welcome, Acharya Shunya. I'm so glad you're here. And can you share a little bit about your coming book? Let's just start there because it's coming. And hopefully by the time you all hear this podcast, you can pre-order or order the book. And then we'll go and do a little bit of history.
1: Well, it's called Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. And this book, Heather, is my invitation to all women, my sisters all over the world, and people who identify with the feminine gender, and people of any gender, who have ever been disempowered, marginalized, or forced to take a second place because just because of their choices, which were in their control or not in their control, such as the genitals or the color, or or the religion religion that they were born in. These are not things we choose. So for various reasons, they became disempowered and they lost their voice. Maybe they became silenced or suffocated, or they had to be too aggressive to make up for it, but it was not their true voice. Then I want everybody to roar like a goddess. And in this book, I go back and tap into the mythology of Durga, Lakshmi, and Saraswati, goddesses I grew up with in my culture, in my home. And um, I saw how they led bold unapologetic lives. And interestingly, in their mythology too, in a patriarchal culture, we find that even the goddesses had faced circumstances or situations where their truth, their voice, their personality was shadowed by the patriarchy, but they roared, they were not silenced. And that roar could be of power, of peace and pleasure, Or wisdom and knowledge but it's a definitive announcement of the roar because there's nothing shrinking about the roar so that's what the book is about and it's a little bit biographical too because in my first marriage I lost my voice and the journey out of it and the kind of reconnecting with the goddesses in my own manner not just to worship them but to become a modern-day goddess, to become a modern-day Durga. It's a little bit of that journey too, and not a lot, but that surely inspired me. Yeah, To read it
0: right now. So wonderful. So as I shared earlier, I was raised in Southeast Asia and spent a, spent a lot of time in India. So I have such a deep respect for the Hindu goddesses and the power that they bring. And so I love that you're bringing the three, those three powerful Durga, Saraswate and Lakshmi forward. So share a little bit about your history. So you were raised in Hinduism. And how did that inform you? And where was there a place? Was there a place in your life that you left your religion that you were raised in and came back to it or have you felt a really strong connection your whole life?
1: I felt a strong connection all my life because Hinduism or rather the foundation of Hinduism is called the Veda or the Vedic tradition which precedes all religions that have come out of that great land, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, the Veda was a universal way of life. It was a progressive way of life. It was remarkably gender neutral. And you go into the Vedas and you find it hearkening uh, the women to lead the government, to drive ships, to lead the army, to become spiritual teachers or to enjoy you know family life. So there was so much openness for that. It was only later that India morphed and changed, but still Hindu women in general have much more uh, freedom. For example, you might have noticed in India than their Islamic counterparts or others, just because the culture by nature sees the woman as a goddess, okay? But that's not to say that it's a perfect society now. The idealism has become um, tainted with the universal patriarchy, which is like the air we breathe, it's everywhere. I thought you and I might think we'll find it in Southeast Asia. We find it as much in America or Australia. So you had to start the warrior goddess training, for example, why? Because we, we found that as a woman, it's still a hostile planet. We're still not invited to the table as equals as so many other brothers and sisters are. For some reason or the other, we're marginalized. But um, so I grew up in a progressive family with progressive training. In fact, I was fortunate, Heather, to be born in a remarkable family in a holy city called Ayodhya, the birthplace of Lord Rama. And um, um, my ancestors have been uh, teaching the Vedas and teachings of yoga philosophy and Ayurveda uh, for for countless generations, my, and my immediate memory of my grandfather and great grandfather is very vivid. And of course, then there then we go back into our family line, and we have a goddess temple in our home. So the the religious part of us, we were devotees of the divine feminine, and the divine masculine, and the divine transgender. But we <laughs> were very, you know, the, the goddess was very precious to us. But because the Vedas are non-dual, we believe that God can, God or that supreme power can appear in any form, any gender, any species, or be even formless. So I didn't find any reason to be disillusioned by it. What disillusioned me more was the, the society that had become since then become entrenched in more feudal values than even what the scripture suggested. I'm now looking and reading a book where we find that it is quite possible that the woman's status in pure Christianity and pure Islam was more elevated than what it is shown today. If you go back and look at the gospel of Mary Magdalena and all of that, you find that there was much more heart earlier than today. So what I suffered for was from a cultural shock once I left my family, took on another family, and nobody was brutal to me. If they were, that would have been easier. But everybody was politely disenchanted with me because I wouldn't toe the line. And that line was invisible. I was expected to know it, toe it, and celebrate it, and teach it to my daughters but I didn't because I could see it because I'd had goddess training through my mother. She would tell me bedtime stories on the goddess. And she was a theater actress too, like a hobby. So she'd play out them, Heather. And instead of falling asleep, I'd get more excited and more giggly and more <laughs> scream at times. What kind, of a, what kind of a bedtime story was that of Durga and everything? But those stories stayed. And so then I became a storyteller to myself first when I was broken and people rejected me for not being a good enough wife, good enough mom, because I separated my infant child from his father. I was not good enough in general and I'm not good enough spiritual teacher because really cool spiritual teachers are celibate. And so if you're married, you better be monogamous and stay, you know, look holy and virginal and That was not my intention because I'm a complete woman. And so I went through my own, you know, self betrayal, but then these stories came back and I realized, gosh, even Durga was sexually objectified. Even Saraswati was made invisible by her partner. Even Lakshmi was rejected once and had to leave the heaven for her own self-respect. And those stories became my stories. And then my story became a global story and my publishers at Sounds True just loved it and said, this is a relevant book for today.
0: It's really relevant. And it feels like we're we we're re-weaving new stories, old stories into new stories, especially, you know, one of the things that I'm so grateful for having been raised in Asia is to get in my bones how differently people worship and how beautiful all the different ways of worship and how that is contained like you said in the veda in uh, hinduism and the different traditions out of india that there's this open-hearted connection to the divine not as white male but as everything it's imminent and so as so often especially in the united states and in europe there's this this lack of divine feminine there's this lack of modeling of stories that become our stories and so i love that you're bringing the stories that you grew up with that they brought you back to yourself cuz everything's there everything's there and that then coming back to yourself you were then able to bring it to others. And it feels like I I looked at some of your other titles that you've written about um, Ayurveda, and that you're a scholar in the Vedic tradition. And so how is this book a continuation of what what you've done in the past around, say, Ayurveda and your
1: scholarship? I feel like it may not be a direct continuation, but I feel like it's fundamental to Ayurveda or yoga philosophy of Vedanta. And I feel like I'm going to be doing this work a little more about power in the divine feminine realm, Um, at least write more books in this realm because my teachers have been teaching for thousands of years and I've been teaching for two and a half decades. So I've met people from all over the world and I find this wound of the soul that's there. And so I already teach a different kind of an alchemical Ayurveda, which is more, you know, more spiritual and more emotionally sustaining because you can drink all the herbal teas you want and you can take all the sleepy time jams and oils. But if your soul is wounded, and if you've lost the power and you're not connected to the divine feminine Shakti, you're a walking ghost. And I feel like I have taught and taught and it's not been retained because humanity is damaged to a large extent. And you must have seen that. And I've seen that that a bulk of our students are women and are perhaps people who are of um, non-binary genders because this is a growing edge of consciousness so i feel like if i could have them read books like mine do trainings like yours you know we need we need this we need this narrative around why this is important and that power is not a bad thing and you and even krishna in bhagavad gita told arjuna to be a warrior he wanted to go away on a retreat and be peaceful and he said no come back to the war and pick up all your assets, be courageous, be fearless and face the darkness because not all darkness is to be um, you know, ignored. Some of it has to be dealt with. That's what Durga taught when she killed those demons. So I feel like uh, we need this kind of stuff. And, and I think I'm glad I'm doing it because my other stuff is more elevated. And this is like downright dirty. It talks about how women are called bitches and how there is sex and how there is women are either revered as false goddesses or they are called cunts and sluts. And this is like taking my spiritual elevation as an acharya, as a leader of a 2000 year old lineage, right down to where it's muddy and where it's not so aromatic but I want to address it because this is a reality that everybody's facing. And I didn't want to be a hypocrite, I didn't. And I'm tired of hypocrisy in spirituality, especially in India. Mm -hmm.
0: So powerful. I feel you with the sword, like, okay, we're coming through (laughs) and cutting through the illusion, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like that. (laughs) Yes. And I found, I wonder if you found the same thing that, you know, in the last 10 years, especially what I'm finding is that more and more women are getting less empowered in a way because now they believe there's something wrong with me. Like when I first started my spiritual path, I learned really early about patriarchy, about the ways that women are held back, the, the around the history, like that was really important. And it was it dovetailed with what I was learning around my spiritual path. And a lot of women now don't have the understanding of the patriarchy or, or domestication. So they just feel broken, even more so I think than when I was young. Um, and I'm sure social media does not is not helping in this this dance that we're in right now. So I think the basics, like in the mud, the basics foundations are more than ever needed so that we can rebuild women to have a solid foundation to then be able to, to actually start on a deep spiritual path.
1: I I agree with you. I don't think, I mean, we may have voting rights and we are, and in some, in some countries women are also professionally uh, forward and, Um, they're sharing, at least on paper, equal opportunities. But I almost feel like we lost, we didn't really have a discussion on what does it mean to be really empowered in a feminine way? Because when we wore the pants and we went to work and we said we could do everything a man could, we were still proving ourselves, overcompensating, and... um, even changing the way we dress and stifling our natural tendencies towards building consensus, harmony. And so, you know, the, the, the workplace, the, the workplace persona was born of this tough cookie woman uh, who's a no-nonsense person. And, but I don't know if I know, if we can really define a woman at workplace if you can define the woman in the 21st century. I feel like these conversations are important, more books like mine and yours are important. Uh, Just like, uh, and the acceptance that we're still deeply disempowered. I have students as you might have who are women and who are CEOs and CFOs and they're entrepreneurs and they've made a lot of money, but when you, when you look at them just a little bit, six inch deeper, they're wounded. Their their self-worth is questionable because the problem is not patriarchy now. It's the internalized self-limiting beliefs that we may have inherited from our climate culture or even our DNA, which is still streaking from millions of girl children being killed at birth of women being burned at the stake for being witches and so there is something called stress, uh, patriarchy stress disorder psd it's actually a qualified stress disorder that i quote i talk about in the book and because i wondered heather at the training i got like i was i grew up a free bird then why didn't it hold up for me? Why didn't these progressive ideas of the Vedas hold up? Why did I crumble in the face of wanting approval from a father-in-law, mother-in-law, a partner who didn't see you beyond your functional abilities to keep everything together? And I realized that I had, it was not from outside, it was from in deep, deep, deep inside me, the darkness. And I had to slay that to write this book, to be who I am today. What do you think? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it is.
0: It's so internalized. And to be able to find the courage to turn and face that internalized darkness and the the fear and the, the places that we've made ourselves small to fit in. I think... Every woman, every person, like you said, that's felt marginalized, that has not fit in in some ways, has at some point in our lives collapsed inward and thought, well, if I just become small, if I just try and fit in, if I just try and be who other people want me to be, then somehow that will work out. And it never works out. It never works out. It may work out in the short run. I'll take that back, actually. It may work out in the short run. It might appear to work in the short run, but it never works in the long run. And I think that there's a lot of women, transgender, non-binary, and men that are in a place now of realizing what we've done up to now isn't working. And we need new stories. And so often the old stories are the healing ones. And I think we also need to create new pathways because we don't have, especially in the West, I know there's more of this in India and, and in other cultures, but especially in the West, we don't have a lot of historical role models of women in power or women in government or women in leadership. I think like you said like pre-christian or early christian there was a lot more power that women were afforded but it's been erased it's mm-hmm. been quite pushed mm-hmm. down and i think it's now all bubbling up your work and so many other scholars and keepers of wisdom are le- are allowing that those stories to bubble up
1: through because they're so needed now <sighs> And, and, you know, there's something about um, that bubbling up, like it bubbles up because it is said that these goddess stories that I have shared in my book, they're magical. They are from a sacred, divine, feminine, ancient, ancient text called the Devi Mahatmaya, and it's an ancient text, and it is said that the goddess chooses the ones who will tell her stories She grants you permission to be a story listener or, you know, you come across that story, a reader or a listener, and then you become a storyteller. And then when you become a storyteller, you become omnipotent with it because um, with those stories, you're very powerful when you tell the stories because with those stories, you can either destroy the universe or you can choose to save the universe and choose to change the destiny of this universe. Like you become really powerful with her stories. As always, there is the juxtaposition between darkness and light. And But the price you pay for this omnipotence, for this storytelling, is this eternal bondage, the goddess. Like you become deeply enslaved to her in her light, in her love, like you're... You're, you're her slave. You have to, you know what I mean? Like you have to now be like a goddess, uh, talk like a goddess, walk like a goddess, roar like a goddess, because um, only then are you really able to make a difference. And, um, and I feel like by the time people read my book, it's going to be too late. The stories would have entered them (laughs) and they would have a lifelong relationship with the goddess in bondage to her. So I kind of like that the stories would lose their work, you know.
0: Yes. Yes, may that be true. That the that the wisdom and the energetic of the goddess comes through the words, the stories, your being and touches others so that others can turn their awareness back to being in devotion to the goddess. Yeah,
1: precisely.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. When I was growing up, like we'd walk into the temple and we would like light a lamp to her and put flowers in her deity and chant to her, which is all good. Now I feel like I'm praying to her by being who I am today. Like my whole being is praying to her. I don't need no temple, (laughs) you know? Uh, And I like that. I like that vision of myself, a new kind of devotee. Yes,
0: yes. I I stayed um, at Amma's ashram for a while when I turned 50. And one of my favorite things was getting up at five in the morning and chanting with everyone to Gali. Um, <sighs> and I would, everybody would leave, or you know, not everyone, but the like the main group would leave, and then I would sit and just wait and get closer and closer and closer, so I could be right in front of her um, as many days as I could. And I feel like. I really really agree with you and i think it's really important for us to have both of that that feeling sense of deep devotion to someone that's physical and again something that we i think it's important for us to bring back in the west is that what is our mirror of the divine because the truth is the divine's formless it's genderless it's imminent in all things and yet as humans it's incredibly helpful for us to have something to worship, that whether that's a tree or whether it's a statue, and understanding that it's a representation that is now in form and that we can we can bring our devotion and our love to that. And it doesn't have to look any way. Like I'm deeply devoted to Guadalupe, because I spend so much time in Mexico. And I'm deeply devoted to Cali. And the other day I was I was Because I always like, well, I know they're the same being, but how do I work with, you know, they're so different in a way, although they're the same goddess. And the other day I was doing a teaching around the angel of life and the angel of death. And I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like for me, how I, in my being, Guadalupe is the angel of life and Kali is the angel of death. And I love them both. They're both needed. And So with deep, 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 deep deep reverence, we can find what goddess mirrors to us that sense of devotion. And then, and I love what you said so much, and then it's not about then the temple or the deity. It's then something trans is transmuted, and we then every step, every breath, everything that we do is in honor.
1: Of the goddess. So true. Yeah. Actually, you, you gave a very potent example of how you're using living. Uh, these are like um, these are like um, you can say present goddesses. The goddess of Guadalupe and Kali, like they're in our collective memory. They're in our collective hearts. So you are connecting with like living archetypes. These are not academic or historical archetypes. These are living archetypes. Millions of people are channeling with them, connecting with them. Then you have like their pilgrimage places that you may be going to. You might be having their deities of photos. And then you're taking their archetypes, wisdom, like angel of light, angel of darkness or death, and then bringing them into that moment of choice where you can get benefit from both. And I think this is what probably is the route that I'm taking too, where I take living goddesses of Durga Lakshmi Saraswati and I then have a living relationship with them. If I turn to the right, I have this huge big altar here where every day I light the lamp and I cry like a child in front of them. It's like, oh mother, you know, for every step, I, she becomes my mother, the divine mother. But then when I'm out there, facing an injustice or, or, or even facing an illusion within my own self, I then become the goddess and I use her archetype. And I agree with you, not only the West, but even the East too, where devotion has become superficial now everywhere worldwide, where it's become sometimes blind, where wisdom is separated from devotion. But your journey and my journey is about bringing devotion and bringing wisdom together. And sometimes I feel like the wisdom lineages, even in India, they will just talk and talk like at a cerebral level, (laughs) but not bring it into their embodied being. And then the religious folks will poo-poo the wisdom and just clothe and feed the deity. And I want to bring the two together together. It's a nicer party here that we're having. Much nicer. It's <laughs> such a,
0: it's such a female, like it's the, the mother coming back through all of us, because I do see like so often the religions or the spiritual scholars are disconnected from the emotional body. And like you said, when you're talking about Ayurveda, I'm like dancing over here of like, you can like do the yoga pose perfectly and you know look good in your lululemons or you can you know take the tincture and and but if you haven't really gone into the emotional healing part it's only a partial solution and we've been working on partial solutions and I feel like the the divine feminine energy that's coming back as as women and like we're we're like bringing the wholeness back, like you said, and bringing all of the, the emotional body, the mental body, the devotion, like all of it works together. It's not separate.
1: And uh, in the Vedas, um, Earth is a goddess. She's connected with Lakshmi. She's called Devi Prithvi. And we have a whole suktam, like um, a, a hymn with like so many verses dedicated to goddess earth, mother earth. And it's full of like gratitude, like even on on walking on your bosom, oh mother, and we fight wars, and you know you bleed, oh mother. There's so much ecology and sensitivity, and I feel like as the world ignored the divine feminine, what got ignored was Mother Earth, nature, seasonal rhythms, intelligence that comes inherent with living with nature. I feel like we. What patriarchy was not just the concept of um, male superiority for some reasons, but it was a whole worldview of, you know, logic over intuition or um, science over wisdom or, <laughs> you know, antibiotics over nature, <laughs> L- you know, um, functionality over Concern and care, and I feel like by by bringing the divine feminine voice, I feel like I have given fresh blood and life to all the Vedic sciences, because like you said, it heals us at the emotional level and it makes us take stock. of Why did we make this divide rifts between? between people with different genders or different sexual preferences, we're all children of the same planet, we're all being taken care by the same air, the same sun, the same moon, the same supreme power, then why these petty differences? And then why not go within and remove those false belief systems that may have entered, not you, maybe your grandmother? but you're channeling them in your smallness because I wasn't raised to be a small woman, but still I became one for a while. I lost my voice.
0: And it was that journey that then allowed you to really come out and roar and be the goddess that you are. Yeah. And, I think that's a beautiful reminder of anybody who's on a journey to find their roar, to find their sense of goddess, that it's okay that we slip. Like there's no shame, there's no self-blame or judgment needed, but to simply say, okay, I have diminished myself for whatever reason. And now that I see that, I wanna find the tools and the support and the guidance to bring my roar back again.
1: And what an androcentric view that I should not slip. Like I must not be vulnerable. What an androcentric view. What a, what a masculinely painfully masculine view that even hurts men. And young boys are told to stuff their cheer, tears and chin up and boys don't cry. Whereas humanity in general is still evolving. And so on a, on, on, on a spiritual state and a world state, I want to talk about vulnerability and, and not just talk about it, but reveal it, show it through my books, through my teachings, through the people I like to hang out with or be in conversation with, I'm selective. Because I don't want to have conversations with over-the-top veneers of perfection and halos and zipped-up genitals to prove your holiness. I'm sorry. But none of that impresses me versus um, versus a broken heart that needs to see some light. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, That's one of my,
0: my dating criterias is... Has your heart been broken really, really hard and have you put it back together again in a new way?
1: Oh, oh yeah. that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll borrow that and share that with some young students of mine. Yes. <laughs> I bet Heather asked that. So I think that's so wise. Yeah. Pain wisens the partner that you're dating them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Truly. To- to really just honor you in your journey of bringing the goddesses forward and and the mud and the muck and the, like, it's time for us to go through it rather than avoiding, rather than trying to build something on top of unstable ground. And so that place of, it takes a lot of patience to do this this work. And I think that's something that, that I'm constantly reminding myself and reminding my students and is that place of, we're so, you know, like, can it be fixed now? Like, can I just like take the pill or like have it be over? I was laughing at myself because I took my, I've had COVID for 10 days and I took my test this morning and it was still positive. And I'm like, you're not going to be positive. <laughs> it's like, it's, but that's, my body isn't done with the virus yet. Like who made up the rule there's so many rules that we that we make up around the universe or ourselves or life. And when we can just let all the rules go and settle in for the journey and for the healing and for the stories that bring us back to life, then everything starts to change.
1: Yeah, definitely. This accommodation around how circumstances are playing, and it's like a dance, like they play with us and then we play back. Um, it's, It's definitely a feminine skill. And this is something we can evoke Shakti, the goddess, in any form that we know her, to give us that. And if we go through any archetypes, the goddess of Guadalupe, or Mother Mary, Magdalena, Durga—we see a flexibility in them. We see, we see how they have, um, in their avatars, dealt with the light and dark. I am myself going through. Um, so I'm writing books. I have more books coming out, and um, and and I started realizing that I'm a. I'm an inward person like I write I like writing books and but then it brings it ha, you know when you bring the book out you're like out in the world a lot and and it's good too because you meet lots of people like i have enjoyed this conversation with you but I was also honing like at my age where do I want to spend my maximum time and I realized I just want to write and um because it gives me like I feel like I'm I'm connected to a greater supreme power. And I thought, and then the ego was like, no, but you got to do this. And it was not, I'm I'm not a desperate ego. It was like informing me, you got to do this. I said, okay, we'll do them. But we're going to take a big leap of imagination of what if I didn't follow any of those rules? What if I let the divine mother take care of what happens after I'm done writing the book? What if, what if I just wait to see, we, we put out this information that I'm an author, I have my book, and then we'll see who finds us. And as I've been thinking these thoughts, something alchemical happened with my life. And the emails that I was expecting, like I would like to receive are dropping in, coming in to find me. Like It's like there's a bigger ego, the divine mother's ego, taking care of my business. So I'm not being passive. I'm not teaching being passive or being a rebel with life, but I'm just saying, I'm not controlling anything as much. It's a very subtle change, but it has happened and happened forever. (laughs) I'm I'm like, this is how I wanna blossom on the planet. Yeah, And, And it helps to have an archetype of these goddesses to support me kind of do your own thing on the planet. Yes. And to yeah. and
0: that you listened that you there because there is so much noise about being an author of like you're an author but you're also a publicist and a marketing person and you're supposed to be teaching and there's a lot of ex- expectation of external activity
1: to bring people in and I love that. you and I see the value of that, right? Because yeah. you won the world. But what I did was I took those expectations and I let and I skimmed it down to the minimum. Like, what is my dharma? What do I have to do? Um, I have to let, you know, these, these many outlets or these many people know that I'm around and that's it. I'm not going to carry it in my head. I'm not going to, you know, it was not like I'm dropping actions outside, but I'm dropping the fever inside me and it just all calmed down. And yeah, because that noise, tuning out that noise is very important to hear your inner voice then it's part of the roar. Yeah, And I'm, and I'm getting more and more dedicated to this journey um, it, the book came from it, but even writing the book was like a master's program in my own, in my own spiritual journeys. You know how it is. You teach it and it's you've upped your own standard. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh, makes me so happy. <laughs> what is one of your favorite stories from the book?
1: Gosh, they're so full of favorite stories, but one of them is about goddess Lakshmi, and she's the goddess of beauty, sensuality, pleasure, abundance, wealth, fertility, blossoms in your garden, everything to do with your daily life and to make it full of well-being. And she's supposed to be the partner of Vishnu, a divine masculine god in Hinduism. And they're supposed to live in domestic bliss. And they do. These two live in domestic bliss. But I found out through my mother's storytelling and then through some more research into the scriptures, I found out that, well, it's not like Lakshmi woke up and she had this beautiful eternal god suitor waiting for her. She was, um, in fact, her father was not even an elevated godly person. And she was born in the ocean. And um, she had a few different partners before she found Vishnu. And then in one of her legends, she was living in heaven, like the Hindu heaven, mythological heaven, called Swarga, with the king of demigods, minor gods, called Indra. And one day Indra was uh, visited by a human sage. Back then, people walked around and visited each other in different realms. And a human sage came by and gave him a handmade garland. And because Indra was distracted or a bit arrogant because he was the king of gods, he kind of took it and tossed the garland. And the garland fell with a thud on his elephant's trunk and elephants are kind of moody. And he's like, I don't want this garland. And so he tossed it and it fell with a huge thud on Mother Earth and Mother Earth is again Lakshmi. And each flower is Lakshmi, each blossom is Lakshmi. And Lakshmi was sitting inside her chamber, but she felt that thud in her own being. It was like, wait, because our every gift is Lakshmi. She realized that by disdaining his gift, he had disdained Lakshmi and there she was living in Swarga, creating luck and wealth and prosperity and beauty and eternal youth and nature for all the beings there. And yet when they got a girl and he tossed it, Indra tossed it. Lakshmi, because she was an archetype for all of us, she didn't like ignore it. She didn't suppress her voice. She, she let Indra know that she was upset and she left. And she went back into the ocean of consciousness. And now, what happened in Swarga, in the heaven local realm, was that there was no, there were trees but no blossoms. There were butterflies but no wings. There was earth but no fertility, no, 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 nothing growing. There was, um, there was food everywhere but no hunger. There were eyes but there was no smile, light in eyes. So everything was frozen in despair. So, they had to work very hard to bring her back up. So, they churned the ocean and whatnot happened. But she came back now up because she was being called up. And she came with this gorgeous big lotus, as big as the moon, that came up. And billions of butterflies came back on Earth through her. They came back with her from the ocean, believe it or not, fluttering everywhere. And as she returned, you know, nature and everything restored itself. And who had helped with the idea of churning the ocean and bringing her up was this great, beautiful god called Vishnu. He was the supreme power. He was not an ordinary god. He was the supreme power, Vishnu. Vishnu literally means the one who dwells in all beings. So she saw Vishnu. She looked at all the faces and she saw greedy eyes. People said, come Lakshmi, come to me. I want to be rich. I want to be sexy. I want to be beautiful. I want to be wealthy but only Vishnu looked at her without any need, without any greed. He looked at her with unconditional love. He reciprocated the the truth of only God can to a goddess. And she takes a garland of flowers and puts it around him. And then she became his partner and our divine mother forever. This is my favorite story because she, I then talk about how many times we've been tossed away as women in professional work or domestic front. And we keep going back, but she valued herself. And then I trace it to how all abundance in life comes back from self-valuing and having boundaries around that self-value. How do you like this?
0: I love that mm. story. Yes. What a perfect roadmap as well for... Valuing self, and and also seeking out the people. I think it's really important for all of us that we find people in our lives that see us exactly for who we are, and that we learn to also see with those eyes for other people. That we, you know, one of one of my friends talks about this idea is like when you start teaching. Um, There's a lot of hungry ghosts of like, there's so much hunger, there's so much need in the world right now. And I think it's really important for those of us that are choosing to honor the goddess and to be in the world in whatever way that we are, that we find others that don't need anything that can just say, I see you, you don't need to be anyone. And that that happens so often when we value ourselves, when we say to ourselves, I see you. And the moment we do that, yeah. we can let ourselves be seen
1: by others. Yeah, because she saw herself, because she saw that she was valuable, that she should, would not be tossed. Yeah, and that's why she was seen, And and I... It has it has raised a lot of question marks in me um, uh, prior when I was contemplating them in my life, when I had been tossed around or I felt tossed. And I had to know if I'm being a drama queen, you know, or am I, have I really been rejected and tossed? And what can I do to restore self-respect and self-value? How can I re-emerge from my ocean of contemplation and reassess my value? And 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 so then this garlanding of Vishnu, I didn't write about that in my book, but I'm sharing it. This insight is coming that we can choose who we want to put our garlands around. We don't have to like make everybody, put everybody at ease around us. She ignored so many people to just choose that one person with a higher consciousness. Yeah. So I can keep unpacking this mythologies that I'd heard as a child, but I keep interpreting them for our emotional, everyday life and relationships and what we can get from it. So, my heart is so happy
0: of the work that you're doing and what you're bringing into the world and the the heart and the love and the just beautiful weaving together of the scholarship and the, the quest for all the fragments. That's what I feel when I feel you. I feel like this this beautiful drive you have in the most positive sense to gather all the fragments, to bring wholeness. And that is so, so needed in the world at this time.
1: Thank you, Heather. I do wanna share that um, I was not working on a goddess book. I want to share this with you. It's not working on a goddess book. A year and a half ago, it was a nine-day goddess festival called Navratri. It's a Hindu festival. You are well aware of it. And I it was the sixth day. And I was working on a book on psychology of Ayurveda, like a medical teaching from the scriptures. And I, it was a more academic book. And um, and I just lit a lamp and I felt overcome and I felt like I needed to start a new sheet. And I finished the book, the first draft in four months. And it's, it's an unknown for me because my Ayurveda book, I took a year and a half. My book based on Bhagavad Gita, I took three years because it's a scholarly book. This one, four months and then a little fine-tuning and it's like it feels blessed in that sense
0: that you were chosen and that you got out of the way
1: to allow that yeah wisdom to come through Mm -hmm. it's again getting out of the way again and again similarly in the bringing the book out into the world i want to get out of the way so that the goddess can do what she needs to do Yeah. So I can yeah. be guided, I can hear from within. Yeah. Yeah, I've been
0: thinking about this a lot of of this this place of learning how you no know, let me see if I can put it into words. Like I feel like we we get to find our power again so that we can then give it up. So we can surrender it up. And you I don't think it works if you just skip that part for women. <sighs> Yeah. Women have been so conditioned to just give up and to go with the flow. So there's this like this rewiring of our system where we have to like say, "Yes, I am worthy. Yes, I have something to offer. Yes, I am important." And then the moment we really get that in our bones, that's only the first half. The second half is now and I give it up. I give it away. I empty because then we can truly do our mission here, and many people have done the first part, but not yet the second.
1: And so, thank you for yeah. modeling that. Yeah, right. Because when we're truly empty, then we can get full divine feminine shakti. So we want to give up because we know that there is another kind of us that's going to guide us. And so we're getting empty of our own false limitations and control. Yeah, I'm trying. Um, I think we're all, I think I'm a spiritual and adventurous. And I didn't stop with the legacy of knowledge I got of the Sanskrit texts, which are really my most venerated foundation. But I'm definitely exploring this divine feminine realm and this this realm of my womanhood, juxtaposed with my um, spiritual life. Like how how can I bring ease into all these areas? Um, yeah, because it's easy for me to sit on this elevated platform, teach Bhagavad Gita, wear my robes and 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 know it, and I would look, I would look perfect. But am I feeling that perfection? This comes from like really looking into the muck and bringing light into it.
0: Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for hours and I'm really grateful for the connection and for the reminders that you're bringing forward. So again, everyone, Archarya's book is more Like a Goddess. Go get a copy for yourself. We'll put all the information in the show notes as well. And Acharya, what's here? What would be one last thing that you would like to share as we close?
1: The last thing I would like to share for all our listeners is that the goddess is already within you. She is that latent Shakti within you. You just make it patent or active by... Uh, reading about her, listening about her, emulating her. And um, little attempts you make, like you make a tiny little attempt, you take two steps, she will take eight more steps towards you. Like you will feel like, wow, where's all this support coming from? Where did I find this extra courage? How did this idea come to me? Where did that contact walk into my life? And this is because... When we rise in our own vibration, in our own voice, in our own roar, we're actually aligned with our true vibration. When we are living at a sub-level, we're pushing everything away, we're losing opportunities. But so when we rise into that roar, we rise into where the universe starts cooperating with you. And so don't worry, you don't have to go shopping. You don't have to become a Hindu. You don't have to change anything, change your guru or your teacher. No, this is universal teaching and um, it's that book and those stories are universal sacred storytelling. They remind you of something eternal in you that is beyond culture, beyond gender and uh, have a blast with it. Thank you so
0: much. Such powerful, beautiful, embodied wisdom that you bring. So, gratitude. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever
1: you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.